0: Welcome to the Marketing Home, Marketing You podcast. Week after week, Barbara Savona of Sprout Marketing brings you quality conversations with industry leaders, mini marketing workshops, and step by step guides on everything marketing, business, and career growth. So grab a cup of coffee and get ready for some outside the box ideas from the girl that lives inside the shipping container box you, Dwight. Thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of Marketing Home Marketing You.
1: Hi, Barbara. It's good to see you.
0: It's good to see you too. So I've been looking forward to this conversation actually for several months and I'm excited for people to get to know you and to get to know your story for those that don't know it. So I'm just curious because I know some about the company, but can you tell me a little bit about how Bonaventure came to be?
1: Oh my gosh. I'll try to condense 20 years of history down to a quick little thing. Um, Basically, uh, I found myself in the very fortunate situation at a young age with no apartment experience in the position to buy an apartment building. And I was not smart enough. I didn't have a mentor to say, don't try to do what you're about to do. And uh, basically, at the age of 25, I bought a 370 unit apartment building and somehow managed to solve a thousand problems along the way. And ultimately, that was the birth of Bonaventure. And so while that's interesting, I think what's more interesting was that some of the seeds of our success were sown in that moment, like for instance, uh, picking the name, like I didn't want to name it Dwight Dunton Real Estate. I hope that it would be about more than us. I also didn't want to name it like Acme real estate, something generic. And I happened to stumble upon our family genealogy in 2000, where the first Dunton ancestor came to the United States in 1621 on the ship Bonaventure. And that was it. It was a tip of good tidings for myself, as well as now 375 folks that call Bonaventure uh, their their place of work and over 6,000 residents who call a Bonaventure community home.
0: That is incredible. So I was going to ask you about the name. I was curious. So it means good fortune. Is that right?
1: Yeah, uh, it does. So it's just on so many levels, it was the perfect name. One, that's what we hope to bring to everyone that we touch uh, in whatever capacity it is. But two, it was physically a a ship that brought good fortune to my family. And More importantly, you know, this is a vessel where we hope to bring good fortune to so many others, Uh, you know, first and foremost, our associates and then the customers and families we serve.
0: That is incredible. Man, what a story. And I just love like all the analogies that can come off of that, the journey, the, you know, the struggle. So, okay. What, what makes Bonaventure then different in this multifamily housing space?
1: Yeah, um. I think, you know, going back to the story about the name, it was my desire was to build a business that was about people. And I think the the name selection embodies that. But really, we think of ourselves not in the apartment business. We think of ourselves in the people business. We just happen to own some apartments. You know, we really focus on the people rather than the sticks and bricks. And I think that's what distinguishes us There's so many folks in this industry that come at it from just focusing on the real estate side alone, and they select the right piece of granite, and they get two appliance manufacturers to bid against each other and so on, and they create buildings. What we do is we create communities, and the difference is you take a building, and then when you bring the right people to it, either that are servicing it or the right people that come and live in it, you go from a building to a community. And so it's all about the people side of the business for us.
0: I love that. I want to ask you later a little bit about some of your terminology and the wording that you use, but that was one of the things that stuck out so much to me, how it is a people-based business that just happens to be in real estate. Do you feel that, that basically you could take the principles that you've learned along the way and because you're people-focused that you could really apply that to almost any business?
1: Yeah, I, I do. Um, you know, when I look at our core values, which I have sitting right here, <laughs> um, you know, when I wasn't, When I started this business, it wasn't that I had worked in another real estate company and I was like, oh, I'll just do this uh, on my own. It was really, I'm going to build this thing from scratch. And so I didn't know what I didn't know. But what I also didn't realize was I actually knew a lot of things. I just didn't realize it. Mm -hmm. And one of them was, is we had values. Those values were in the company from the moment it started. I just didn't know how to put it to words. And so we went through the process of formally like writing down our core values. And I thought this was going to be some event where everyone had have an opinion about it and we'd have to like make some compromises. Well, it turned out we nailed it in like a, an hour. And it was because we already had that value. We had those values. We had the DNA and it was present within all of us. We just didn't have the vocabulary to describe it. And so I think these values resonate for lots of different businesses. They may not resonate for everyone's business because values aren't right or wrong. They're just the same way as DNA isn't right or wrong, just distinguishes our group from another group. And we could apply this group of people with these values to another business.
0: I think that's so incredible because for a lot of people, core values are literally a job that a marketing department goes, thinks up, says what sounds good to put on a piece of paper. But for you... It sounds like it, you all were already embodying it. You were living it. You just kind of had to flesh out the the overall messaging.
1: Yeah, it, that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, I it sound like a broken record about this DNA thing, but it seems to be so apt because when you're born, your DNA is the exact same as the moment you die. And what evolves over your lifetime isn't your DNA, but rather how it's expressed, like how it looks on the outside, how you think, how you move. And the same thing is true with any organization, and especially Bonaventure, our DNA has been the same, the dip first day to today to the last day of Bonaventure, which I hope is 150 years from now. But the way it expresses itself, uh, the way it appears outwardly, and the way we talk about it and communicate will evolve over time, but that DNA will remain unchanged.
0: So now that we've kind of talked about setting the stage, the foundation for Bonaventure, I'd love to shift to talk a little bit about how you as a CEO have evolved. You talked about condensing this to 20, you know, this 20-year journey. So how how is Dwight today different than Dwight 20, 25 years ago? We'll get right back to our conversation. But before we do, I just wanted to remind you, if you haven't already, go to sproutmonthly.com. There you can subscribe to our monthly digital magazine and make sure you subscribe your team also. This will give them an endless supply of ideas for the upcoming two months for their marketing, their resident events, their retention, social media, plus all these conversations that we have on the podcast. You'll also see these interviews inside of the magazines too. So make sure you go to sproutmonthly.com. You'll also get access to tons of free resources. All right, let's get back to it.
1: Oh my gosh! Um, you know, like our, our values, I look that it, it seemed to be a personal reflection of me. I think our company and my personal evolution have been hand in hand. Uh, I look back on all of the things that I thought I knew, and I realized I didn't. And I think a few things stick out to me as one, which is like really being able to be transparent and honest with yourself about the things that you're amazing at and the things that you're not amazing at, the things that you're good enough at, that you hate, like that quadrant of natural ability and things you love and really being able to be honest about yourself. Like there's some things I would love to be great at, like hitting a 300 yard uh, drive right down the center of the fairway. I will never, ever be good at that. No matter how much I try, I I'll never be good at that. And so is like, saying to myself, you know what, I, that's, that's in that quadrant that I just don't need to spend time on because I do not have that natural ability, but there's other things that I really do have a natural ability at and I enjoy and how do I spend my time there? And so I think a couple of things are one, being able to look in the mirror and really see yourself who you are and not be embarrassed or shamed, not uh, you know focus on what you'd like to be, but uh, rather accept who you are, understand the things that you can grow and the things you can evolve and the things that are immutable about yourself. And so that's been one. I think another is appreciating that everyone is different and that the way you see the world is different than others. And the thing, so that was the first thing. The second thing is I realized is the way I see the world is pretty abnormal. Uh, if you know, if you said there's a bell curve of the way people view the world, I thought I was in the middle. Like I'm I'm just like everybody else. But in fact, I realized that my perspective is fairly uncommon. Uh, and that I didn't realize that for a long period of time. And I think it created a lot of friction in terms of interpersonal communications was I was like, well, why don't you see this? And the reason is, is because I fulfill this role at our company called visionary and that's a fairly uncommon set of character traits, but I didn't appreciate it at the time. So it's been a journey of self-discovery.
0: Yeah. I think you're, everything you said resonated with me too, because as a CEO myself, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit about putting ego to the side, because when you first start, you want to be able to say that you're good at everything and that you can do everything. So when did that, when do you think that that look in the mirror, just like, where did that kind of get clearer for you?
1: You know, I would say it kind of happened uh, in my mid thirties and it was the reality of I've got my personal life. I became a father, and you know, you you have kids and you realize that you don't have an unlimited amount of time to devote to your first kid, which is was for me was my company because it was born first. It's now fit in the sack ranking. My my real kids come first. But I realized that like I used to be able to compensate for the things that I wasn't naturally gifted at by throwing an unlimited amount of time at that. And I was like, this is, uns- it became, it was always unsustainable, but in the face of being a father of a young family, it becomes really unsustainable. And then you have to make, start making hard choices about how you allocate your time. And then you, when you really dig deep and you you realize the source of why, no matter how much time you spend on this thing, it's never getting better. And you realize I'm the problem. <laughs> and that if I were to let go of this thing and delegate it to somebody who's gifted at it, all of a sudden the problem goes away. I free up time and we get a better outcome. And so I think that coincided with like this personal evolution in my life and my personal life and my role. Um, and it forced me to think a lot about my role at work and how there's got to be a better way so that I can free up the capacity for these children who need uh, mentorship, leadership, parenting, et cetera.
0: So, would you say then that constraints constraints of your time have almost made you be more innovative in how you use and allocate the resources that you have?
1: Yeah, I mean, I have an unlimited amount of energy, but I think I'm a fundamentally lazy person. <laughs> and let me let me say that. Explain say that. that. What it do you mean? <laughs> because I'm always looking for the simpler way to do things. As a result, and you know, some of the uh, most amazing inventions that save time and resources were fundamentally motivated by that person who's like how do I get this done easier how to make my life easier and so I I shorthand that is the like the lazy man's perspective is how do you get this done faster better cheaper easier and I'm I'm like wired to look for that incessantly almost to the point on occasion I could have just done it the hard way and been done 10 times faster than finding the elegant simple way that ultimately saves us thousands of man hours going forward because now we have an easier way to do it but it was harder to implement up front and so that's kind of how I'm wired is looking for that simpler approach the more elegant solution what really matters everything else can be pushed to the side
0: yeah it's like they say that just to make something simpler doesn't necessarily necessarily mean it's easier initially but then for scalability that makes a lot of sense so that. In- could- Oh, I'm
1: sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, and and but my example because I talk about this a lot with our team. I was like, you know, Windows came out with a phone and it had like 20 buttons on it, and it it was probably they were able to build it very quickly because they were like, we'll just stick buttons on it. It wasn't intuitive. It wasn't easy. But they could quickly produce a new phone and a new phone. But Apple, it takes one year to come out with something that looks effortless, but it takes a lot more resources to do it. And that's the balance is if you wanna make it intuitive and easier for your end users, it's way harder.
0: That's one of my favorite stories. I remember that when I was researching for a specific presentation on that, that Steve Jobs, they I guess at the end, they wanted to have two buttons, his design team. And so he threw two crumpled up pieces of paper at them and they couldn't catch either. And he said, you get it, it needs to be one or else people won't get that whenever they no matter how deep they get into the phone, they can always press this one button and get back to where they need to. So I love that story.
1: I'm going to borrow that when I get you from you, I'll send you a quarter royalty for the idea. Thank you. (laughs) Okay,
0: great. So then share with me a little bit, you've kind of touched on it, but you're wearing a lot of different hats. It sounds like you're Focusing where your strengths lie, but how are you managing to juggle all the roles that a CEO has with stakeholders, teams, visionary, like you talked about, constantly casting this vision, and then the economy that's always changing? How are you managing that?
1: Uh, Some days a lot more successfully than others. Um, You know, I, I think it, again, is about the people. It's about building amazing teams, putting people in the areas that they're naturally gifted at. Uh, putting people in the roles where they can shine. If you do that, then a lot of the problems evaporate, leaving more space for the things that, you know, I need to do to drive our company forward to ensure that we survive in the turbulence of the market. And so, but, you know, some days are more successful than others, despite how hard we work, there's an occasional fire every day. Um, And, but I think more importantly, when I look at it from a, little, a slightly longer perspective is my role is constantly evolving. You know, I took uh, responsibility at the beginning of the year for two of our teams, our acquisition team and our capital markets team, because I, my natural talents and the needs of the organization match very closely. And so I took those responsibilities in addition to being CEO Of the company and that has been a constant juggle of how do i provide service to these two teams that i'm very intimately managing plus my role to the entire organization and there's a lot of hard decisions on what's the best use of my time what provides the impact what is urgent versus what's important it's a continuous evolving process and every day you make slightly different decisions but you make the best ones you can
0: So, Dwight, do you feel that that's a question you're coming back to almost? Is it daily? Is it weekly? Do you look back and say, did I have the best impact last week? What am I going to shift? How are you kind of recalibrating?
1: So at Bonaventure, we call that we we call the process sunshine and daylighting. Everything we do, we reflect on it and go, what did we learn? Um, You know, sunshine is we celebrate the success we and uh, or. And daylighting is we, we highlight the things we can learn to do better. And so like I do that uh, on an hourly basis, I'm, you know, going to reflect on what did I, what could I have done differently with my time with Barbara to make more of an impact on you and this relationship that we have. And what can I have done differently to be clear with the audience on the things that I thought were important to share. Or, you know, last week or my my business trip to New York is like, how do I get the most out of those experiences? So that's on the retrospective. But on the prospective, you know, which is probably more important than looking backwards is looking forward is to be very deliberate and constantly course correct. Uh, really challenge yourself to say, what do I really know versus what do I think I know? What's a fact versus a, a faulty assumption? How do I know I'm correct? And those are the things that I'm asking myself every day to help chart that course to fine tune.
0: That's amazing. I I like the fact that looking forward, looking back, it's kind of like you've got all your bases covered and you're able to, I like that you're talking about doing it in the moment after each experience, because a lot of people are just looking at their week in review. But when you look at your last hour and you're constantly doing that, it's almost like it's training your brain to be thinking that way in advance. Um, Yeah. so I'm curious. Okay, you've described yourself as stubborn. I didn't say it. I know that you actually. I follow your bona, your Bana Blast, and there was actually a part where you said that you've you've been self, you've been described as stubborn, especially about your values. So I'm curious. Has there ever been a time where sticking to your values to the outsiders has seemed like a bad thing? Like you were going to maybe sacrifice revenue, sacrifice something? And where you can now look back and say, "No, it made sense that I stuck stubbornly to these values of mine."
1: Yeah, so I I think there's um, a difference between stubborn and obstinance. So, like, I have strong convictions that our values are immutable, and if a decision crosses those values, it's very clear to me that's not a decision for us. That's a different. We have a different path ahead of us. Uh, I also have strong convictions about what our businesses. However, if somebody presents a rational argument, provides data that's the contrary to my direction, I will change in an instant. And I think that's the difference between stubbornness and obstinance. An obstinate person will never change no matter how overwhelming the data is because they would prefer just to be right for the sake of being right. I think the stubborn person is saying, I have strong convictions and I need to be convinced of that rather than somebody who is like will change with the wind or doesn't will will do whatever makes somebody else happy ultimately you have to be able to go to sleep at the at night and feel comfortable that you made the right decisions for you and so i think that's that balance that i think a leader needs to have is have conviction have opinions but not be obstinate that they they won't change just because they 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 need to be right
0: so, what happens when you feel defeated, deflated, something didn't go in your way? How do you recover from that?
1: i mean there's there's a moment where you just need to like take some space and like kind of like be in that emotion um, and just say this happened and feel that that feeling of defeat or whatever um, versus just kind of shoving it down and putting on false positivity. But then after that moment passes, I really look back and go, this was not a failure. It's only a failure if I don't learn anything from it. And so then I begin that task of saying, what can I have learned from this experience that will make us better, make us stronger, help me to make better decisions and so on. And then I think the other thing I look at is, was this a bad process or an unfortunate outcome? Because process and outcome are different. And I think most people don't see the difference. They look at a good outcome and go, we crushed it. And in fact, they may have gotten extraordinarily lucky and they took ridiculous risks. Or alternatively, they had the wrong outcome and they feel defeated when in fact, it was just bad luck. It was the flip of the coin went the wrong direction, but they ran the exact process and maybe they couldn't have done anything different. And so those are the kind of things that I reflect upon to get myself out of that hole when things don't go as you want them to or as planned, is what can I learn from that? How can I grow as an individual? So
0: I feel like I just experienced the curve that you talked about where you're on kind of the opposite side of of most, where you talk about that you don't just take the win and say, yay, we did everything right, that you really dig into the process and, and, and kind of dig into was it was it just luck? Was it just something that happened, but is not something that's repeatable or put us through unnecessary risks? So that's a really, that's a great perspective. So are there in hindsight, some key decisions that you've made that really helped Bonaventure kind of get that momentum going where there was maybe massive growth or just something that was, you know, a key thing?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think on the growth side, and also on the downside protection. There were some things that in retrospect seemed natural to me, but were the difference between us sitting here today versus me working for somebody else because our company failed. Um, And I think those differences were simply like I was really comfortable pursuing uh, approaches that maybe weren't popular. And one of those things are was we financed our development business using HUD loans, which is the worst process on the world. It is horrible. It's like doing your tax return every day for a year and a half. Uh, But it provides an amazing risk management tool and amazing uh, vehicle for doing development uh, in a long-term, low-risk way, but high reward. Most people don't want to endure that kind of pain to get through there. Terrible process, great outcome. So that was one on the growth side. On the protection side, which is everything doesn't go according to plan and how do you survive those moments was simply getting fixed rate loans because when 2008 happened and people had uh, short-term loans that were maturing and there was no liquidity and they ended up handing back the keys, we were never in that position. And uh, it was just, it was one of those things that when we made that decision, when we started the company, it seemed obvious. Long-term asset, long-term financing, pair those two together. In retrospect, it was the difference between potentially having an insolvent business and one that sailed through a really rough time
0: I've loved but your- it wasn't
1: a popular decision
0: yeah, I've loved your LinkedIn posts where you kind of in retrospect go back and break some of those down those decisions like when you talked about the HUD financing, you really shared how it was it was like not a fun process, but it was worth it, or the long term financing how It was potentially longer, you know, the turnaround was a little longer than expected, but it was the right decision. So I feel like that's another great example of where being clear with your values, with it being about the people, the long-term holding, how that all really made sense. So who do you turn to then for advice? I'm sure there's been these times as you're digging into some of these maybe unpopular opinions, who's your go-to?
1: So for a long time, I didn't have one, you know, that expression, it's lonely at the top. Uh, it was very true. Uh, as the company grew and I really developed a, a, a leadership team, they became a resource. And then externally, I have uh, several forums of other CEOs of other businesses, not even in the real estate world, where you can talk about that five those 5% of your life, the worst 5% and the best 5%, the stuff that you certainly may not tell your coworkers or the people that work for you. You may not tell some of your closest friends but it's these people that have no interest in your life other than to to support you because you're supporting them and that's been a huge huge outlet for me
0: so for the people that are now part of your core leadership team what are the what is the key criteria like when you're looking for someone to either promote or to hire what are you looking for
1: one everyone at Bonaventure needs to share our values that is the prerequisite and we focus on that more than technical aptitude first um, very few people in an in an organization leave because they're they can't do the job it, because most of the time you work really hard to say, "Can you do this job?" Most people leave this because they are no they're not a culture or value fit or they rub people the wrong way or so we look for that first, and then we turn to the technical aptitude on the leadership team. We look at, does this person really GWC it, get it, want it, and have the capacity for the role? And they have to be amazing leaders at organizing teams of people to break down long-term goals into shorter-term milestones and boil that down into the the tactics to, to build a business and to manage teams and motivate people and just Bring all the pieces together. They basically have to be mini entrepreneurs running businesses at Bonaventure.
0: All right. So let's switch gears a little bit. Yes, ma'am. Q one. How do you prepare yourself to really have a good first quarter?
1: Yeah. Um, it to me it it does it's it's a continuous process. Um, the fact that quarter one is in a different year than quarter four proceeding. Uh, A lot of people like have these bright lines where it's like, it's a whole different year. But the reality is the only thing that changes from December 31st to January 1st is you tear a sheet off the calendar. It's just another day. And so how do you have this mindset of a continuous process of evolution and goal setting and, and continuous course correction versus, you know, most organizations, most individuals, they set these goals, they're called Um, New Year's resolutions and there's like some massive change that they're going to inflict upon their life. And within 15 days, they've forgotten about it because it was so revolutionary and it was so disjointed from the life they were leading just the day before that it doesn't stick. And so, you know, you can take that personal approach to a business and go, well, if your business plan for next year is a total disconnect from the day before, it's going to be really hard to achieve. And so if rather, if it's a fine tuning of what you were doing before, it's going to succeed. So we started talking about Q1 at the end of Q3 of this year. And we've been working towards tweaking our glide path so that when it goes from December 31st to January 1st, it is just the continuation of the glide path that we are on.
0: Did you call it a glide path?
1: Uh, n- no, we, we call it milestone setting, but okay.
0: yeah. Okay. So do you think that that is something that you have to kind of help maybe some people unlearn like the on-site teams? Is that a, is that a shift for a lot of them to kind of be thinking about it? Is it just continuing on versus this big, big new, you know, year?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think when I, when I look at the property management business, it is that new year's resolution business, which is fourth quarter's budget season and like the world stops and it's like, we got to get bids from every vendor and so on and so forth. And it, it becomes chaos. And I mean, to a degree at Bonaventure, we're not, we're not where we need to be in that part of our business, where it's just a continuation of business is normal, but I'd say it's a lot less of a like record skip than most other companies. And so I think, uh, you know it should be a continuous process like you it shouldn't be get 50 bids it should be manager vendors all year long and it, you're not like having to say well you got to take 10 percent off or your service was terrible so i'm bidding you out you're telling them that the first day of the year your service needs to improve so there's no surprises nine months later they've been doing a great job or they already know that they're on notice and they're going to be replaced
0: And it sounds like in an essence, you're teaching that your teams then to almost think like entrepreneurs themselves, because I think about from a small business, we're always thinking like that. If something isn't working financially, we're not waiting until January to make a change or to evaluate it because we're looking at every single dollar. So it sounds like that's what you want your property managers to be doing as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is very much like, you know, yes, entrepreneurial, but really it's more how do you balance your family's needs? You don't wait to next year to go. You know what? We 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 need to cut back in certain areas. We're not going to go out to eat as much because of inflation. You're like we do that now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's you know I think there's a lot in common with being an entrepreneur and managing your home life. And so somehow in our world we seem to make entrepreneurialism mystic and this foreign thing. I can never be an entrepreneur. Well, do you manage your home? Yes. Okay, you're an entrepreneur because there's always more needs than there. There are sources of revenue and you figure out how to make hard decisions every day. So you are an entrepreneur, you're running your household business.
0: That is such good advice. I was always shocked when I would hear people kind of spending something and they'd say, oh, the business is paying for that. And I'd always think you, you are the business. Like that's, you, you know, there's, if you're kind of frivolous, with your money that way, you'll probably be frivolous in the other way. So that's really kind of empowering for teams to be thinking about it that way. So what yep. about marketing? How has marketing played a part in scaling Bonaventure?
1: Oh my gosh. Uh, I remember the very first NAAO I, I went to, they're still handing out the guidebooks and you know they're still having these over-the-top booths and You'd buy like the enhanced banner and the enhanced star on your picture on the guidebook page. And so, you know, I think our industry has always been behind, but it's catching up rapidly to how marketing has evolved in the rest of the world. Um, And I think the same is true. You know, we've gone from kind of a blue collar industry to becoming more of a white collar industry. And it makes sense because if any other, you know, if a property is worth $50 million, uh, if you said to anybody else, you're running a $50 million business, you'd have somebody that has a lot of experience and, and financial capabilities and so on. But in the apartment industry for a long time, it was just like, well, that person's been in the business forever and they may or may not be qualified. Their only qualification was tenure, but they're running a $50 million business. And so, how do you how do you get people more capabilities to run these businesses to match the demands of the market the marketing marketplace where digital advertising geofencing geolocation uh social media marketing are becoming the way of doing it you have uh recommendations having more power than paid promotion how do you facilitate that i mean there's been a lot so the answer is a bonaventure is we have to be nimble. You know, one of the things that we're working on right now is we see that the trend is uh, is troubling that the large um, internet-based marketing outlets are taking a larger and larger cut of the relationship between a business and the consumers, i.e. Facebook, Google and CoStar. And every year they find a way to take a bigger and bigger slice of that. And so how do we combat that? Can we do that through brands? Can we do that through having uh, property ambassadors that provide referrals that you know provide direct uh, consumer to consumer feedback? So we're constantly in this cat and mouse game, and we're trying to say where's not where are we today, but where is this heading? And how do we strike a plan that not only solves today, which is we need to leave 6,000 apartments to the right customers, but more importantly, how do we position ourselves to where we see this going in the future so that we don't end up continuing to be disadvantaged as these massive conglomerates extract more and more of the value chain.
0: It makes a lot of sense. And with any good marketer, they're watching not just what is, what their competitors are doing, but what the user behavior is. And you start to kind of see where the shift is happening. So it feels like you all are very thoughtful with your words. Recently, you, I think it was a recent change in the tagline of your company. So what is we create assets? Why was that an important change?
1: Sure. Um, You know, we we see that we sit in the the middle of the intersection of two massive demographic shifts. One is lack of housing affordability. The other is there uh, is the largest group of retirees need to invest money so that they can fund their retirement. And we happen to sit in the middle of those two, because on the one hand, we help provide uh, housing towards that missing middle between 60 and 120% of AMI. And on the other hand, we help connect the people that are savers to invest in those buildings that will produce a return and produce quality housing. And for us, the big differentiator is there's lots of people who will manage your money. They will just take your money and give it to somebody else to to put in an apartment building. But we literally create those buildings from the ground up. And so that was important for us to communicate to the marketplace of people who are in need of getting a return on their capital that, to distinguish ourselves from just people who are allocators. They're running around chasing deals to saying, no, we like find the piece of land, we clear it, we put the pipes under the ground, we pour the concrete, we put up the two by fours, and we eventually create this asset from nothing. And that was important for us to communicate to the market, one of our, our uniques.
0: So perfect because the tagline speaks to your consumer and to those that are investing with you so that's the other one that I loved you already mentioned the one about a company that you know is in the people business but happens to be in real estate but I also there was one little line that you'd written years back very very many years back and it said Uh "One ventures offerings span multiple stages in a customer's life from ramen to rings and beyond I don't know why but that one just like perfectly painted the picture of the renter that you were speaking to at the time
1: yeah. I mean, I, I think we try to look at we're our company is evolving through our life cycle and our customers are doing the same and how can we meet them where they are today and help them get to where they want to go in the future. And so if you think about that particular line, which is you eat ramen, maybe you're a recent college grad and you're in your first place and you're struggling to make ends meet because you're, early in your career, and you're not making a lot to now, you're getting married, and you're bringing, you know, two people together to become one family, and they're exchanging rings, and their needs are different. And how do we provide products and services and, and lifestyle that meets those different spots?
0: That needs to be on a billboard. I just think that'd make a great marketing tagline right there. (laughs) Okay, well, as we're wrapping up, I just have a couple more questions for you. Yes, ma'am. So when people, you know, you talked about this company for years to come, and that's your goal. When people think of Bonaventure, what is important for you that they think? What do you want to come to mind?
1: I want them to think about the people that were behind that beautiful building they're looking at. Um, You know, I think if, if anyone has the opportunity to go on a behind-the-scenes tour of a Bonaventure community. Not the one you get from our wonderful on-site staff, but somebody from our development team, our acquisitions team. And they talk to you about why they made those selections that look like that beautiful club room that you're in or why they made those selections for the the unit that you're like, I want to live here. It's fascinating. And it's all about the people and the collaboration and the teamwork that goes to bringing one of these communities to life. That to me is the thing I want people to think about is the people and the teams that were behind what you're now standing in front of or inside.
0: That's a great legacy to leave behind. So last up, what has you fired up for 2023? What's What's got you excited?
1: Um, well, I, I recently said I was personally happy that uh, I was finally right that eventually interest rates will be going up. Uh, That was (laughs) 2022. I think for 2023, what has me excited is uncertainty because I think Bonaventure is best being nimble. And I think when things are very steady, a lot of people can execute because it's pretty much drive down the super highway at 90 miles an hour. But when it becomes foggy, the road becomes curvy or maybe it goes from a super highway to a gravel road. That's where Bonaventure is best. And so I think that's where we're going to distinguish ourselves from our peers is in these uncertain times.
0: That's an exciting outlook. Instead of looking at it like everybody else is scared, you know where you guys can shine. And it sounds like this is the perfect landscape for that to happen. Well, Dwight, this was so much fun and knowing how busy you are, I just want to thank you for taking the time to visit with me. I feel like I got like a little mini CEO training class today. So thank you so much for your time. And I hope we can visit again in person, hopefully someday soon.
1: Yes, we will. Barbara, it's so great to see you. And I, I can't wait to see you in person. You are a great interviewer and you really got me reflecting on some things that uh, tonight I will tell my kids about. You've reminded me of some important lessons that I will share with them.